Hello, and welcome to the Asia-Pacific Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nankavell, President of the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada. I'm coming to you today from our headquarters in Vancouver on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. And I have to tell you, Vancouver is booming these days with lots of office and residential construction happening all around us. And as our listeners, I think you're going to be treated to a bit of this noise in the background as we record this conversation in our office at uh, West Hastings and Burrard uh, in the Central Business District of Vancouver. Now, earlier this month, the foundation released its second in a series of three investment monitor reports for 2022. And since the investment monitor was founded in 2003, this is the first year that we are doing specialized reports on specific sectors. And this one is focused on two-way foreign direct investment in research and development between Canada and Asia. And I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast today, Anastasia Vufumtseva, the Foundation's Business Asia Program Manager and Project Lead for this new Investment Monitor Report on R&D. Welcome back, Anastasia, to the Asia-Pacific Conversations. It is a pleasure being here. Thank you so much, Jeff, for hosting this, and I'm excited to share insights from the, this year's uh, special report on R&D uh, that we released. Well, let's, let's jump right in. This is a hot topic in, in Canada, as in other countries, and, and I think particularly for Canada, where uh, it, it has been observed in recent years that the, the share of research and development, or R&D, in the national economy has not grown at the same pace as other parts of the economy, with the result that the share of R&D has been uh, declining somewhat. And so, you know, FDI is potentially uh, part of the answer to reversing this situation. So let's start with, uh, with an overview of just how significant is foreign direct investment in R&D between Canada and the Asia-Pacific. And during uh, the, the pandemic of the last couple of years, uh, were, were you able to detect changes in the flows of FDI related to R&D? So absolutely. So there is two parts to it. So we find that actually FDI and research and development between Asia Pacific and Canada since 2003 till 2021 has been not very significant. So it was under 5%, specifically at 3%, with 1% of Canadian foreign direct investment flows uh, being in R&D and 2% of the Asia Pacific R&D flows into Canada being in R&D. Uh, and that hasn't unfortunately changed throughout time. So in the last year, the foreign direct investment, uh, while it increased in the total volume to 1.1 billion, being the second largest that we have observed since 2016, it is still at 3%. So there is a difference between the volume that we are receiving and the percentage terms in terms of the total FDI, which has not changed much over time. Okay, so... Of the Canadian direct investment into the Asia-Pacific region, which economies are, are the targets of this? In which economies are Canadian R&D investors most active? So let me start with top three, because they account for 76% of total Canadian FDI, and so that being China, Australia, and India. China has received around $1 billion of Canadian investment in R&D, 
followed by Australia with 795 million and India with 300 million of Canadian dollars invested in the R&D. And then it is followed by others such as Taiwan and New Zealand. And we are seeing increasing popularity of uh, Canadian investors being interested in South Korea and New Zealand over time. So quite interesting diversification strategies going on. And I can mention a few significant investments uh, this year. Uh, we saw Lululemon Atletica establishing its R&D facility in Bengaluru in India, which is quite an interesting um, venture. And also an AI firm based in Vancouver going to Seoul in South Korea, establishing its uh, office there. It's called Next Optics. So we are seeing more and more different locations for Canadian R&D investors. And those uh, and those figures. That's for 2021. Th- those few investments. Yeah, those are the recent ones. 2020, 2021. Yes. And so, in the other direction, the FDI coming into Canada from the Asia Pacific economies. Um, which economies are the largest sources of the uh, FDI into Canada? So there is an interesting reversal. Japan is being actually our largest investor in R&D followed by India, South Korea, China, and Australia. And let me go deeper into each of them. So Japan has invested over 40% of the money that we have booked. It was invested by Japan, and we have giant multinationals such as the Mitsubishi, we have uh, Fujitsu, and Syrian pharmaceuticals investing there. Uh, with India, we have investment of $1.1 billion, uh, and a few bigger deals is one by Infosys investment as well as by ACL Technologies, and both of them are in the software and technology sector. Uh, From South Korea, we have interesting investment from Samsung, Autocrypt, and Dual Industrial, all of them technology-driven firms at one billion. And lastly, looking at China, we had lots of investment by Huawei until it was banned. So we have a bit of a change in rules still we're seeing with China's investment into Canada overall. So there will be changes as we see with observed R&D investment trends by destinations over time as we expect. Yes, and I guess it'll be interesting to see with Huawei, uh, I think in investment by Huawei hasn't been banned, but Huawei has been shut out of the 5G uh, network uh, development. I have you know, seen reports over the last year as, as this situation was developing of of Huawei indicating an interest in continuing to invest in R&D, but I guess it's an open question what the appetite will be in the environment that Huawei finds itself in commercially in, in Canada, but also you know in North America and, uh, and in Europe. Absolutely, and it kind of leads to the question of securitization of certain investment in R&D. Right. So I think we're going to get into the details of that question, but you're right, the investment hasn't been banished as the 5G aspect of it. So, But we've saw less investment from Huawei since then. Yeah, so let's, we, we will come back to that topic. And the segue into that is for me to ask about the nature of these investment transactions. So to what extent are we talking when, when we are booking an FDI transaction as R&D related, uh, to what extent is that uh, greenfield, the opening of new factories or plants or or laboratories, uh, and to what extent is it about uh, mergers or acquisitions with existing firms uh, already based in Canada? And this is a super fascinating question, a super fascinating finding for us. We were really surprised by seeing that greenfield has been preferred. When we look at the aggregate flows from 
between Canada to Asia Pacific and from Asia Pacific to Canada, 70% of it was in greenfield. And looking at it even deeper, so uh, looking from Asia Pacific investors, it is 60% of the deals that they have made, they were greenfield. So the other 40 being mergers and acquisitions. And then for Canadian, the number is much higher. We're sitting 96% of greenfield investment, meaning that Canadian companies feel more secure building a new factory, making sure that they have access to their and protection for their intellectual property rights, right? So if you're merging in, uh, or acquiring a business, you might be transferring some of your intellectual property rights. So there is, um, in a way, a fearfulness of that when you're investing in a different country that your property, uh, intellectual property rights are not going to be as well protected. And when you're coming into Canada or US or Australia or any other countries, there is increased emphasis in the last few years in the protection of strategic industries and especially the transfer of technology. So there is new investment screening rules and measures being put in place protecting the transfer of this intellectual property. And we might observe as we start with the future that 60% that we observe from Asia Pacific actually declining because some deals might be blocked even before the investor is able to invest in Canada or um, change their investment model. So we would anticipate these numbers to change in the future. So you'd anticipate that the that the M&A share, uh, I guess currently 40% is M&A? Yes. Yeah, that that might be expected to go down as there are more rules in place uh, to protect uh, intellectual property or to with the aim of preventing intellectual property from from leaving Canada through acquisitions. Absolutely. And those are related to critical technologies. So we have uh, Canada just adopted a National Security Act where we emphasize certain critical technologies. We have defined them. We had made sure that the technology that we will implement to protect our national security would be protected down the line. So investments that could be potentially before easily getting into Canada would be more likely screened and uh, analyzed from a closer lens to make sure that those investments that could endanger it would not go forward. So yes, we anticipate potential decrease in certain industries that are connected to critical security questions. And I guess for the Canadian investment abroad, it's already um, almost entirely greenfield, but it would probably be safe to, to predict that the M&A share of that would not be going up as presumably there are other there are economies in the, in the Asia-Pacific region that themselves might be strengthening the, the controls on acquisition of companies you know, with certain technologies in those economies, right? Yeah, that could be a trend as well. And also companies are likely... Um, trying to make sure that their intellectual property rights are protected. So the U.S. Extraterritorial Act also might apply to some jurisdictions to ensure that those companies do not uh, release their sensitive technology outside to make sure that it's protected. So if, if your company is doing business with the U.S., you also have to consider what are the regulations there. So there's a lot of different components at play that will likely encourage Greenfield yeah. over time. That's very interesting. And then so in terms of the sectoral distribution of these R&D investments, talk to us a bit about, about you know, where, where are the highest concentrations in terms of sectors and, and what trends are you observing over time? So one of the most exciting trends that has emerged in the 
past five to six years is the increase in investment in software and services industries. So we've been seeing it since 2017 till 2021. That sector actually generated FDI flows in R&D in Canada, accounting for 28%, which is the highest proportion of the investment flows into Canada in the R&D, and 65% of the Canadian investment going into Asia Pacific being in that sector. So it's quite significant. Over time, however, if you're looking, the, the sector is much more diverse in terms of the combination uh, of industries where investors have invested. So let me look first at the Asia-Pacific investment into Canada. So since 2003 until 2021, we see that software and computer services have accounted by for 37%, followed by biotech at 28, and pharmaceuticals at 18. So those are the highest ones. And then it, as I mentioned, it shifted to the uh, communication technology, software and computer services over uh, time with the 65% going into that, as I mentioned earlier. And looking at the Canadian R&D FDI into the Asia Pacific, we actually focused initially mostly on technology with 33%. Then it was followed by automobiles and parts with 22% and pharmaceuticals with 8%. So as we see over time, the 28 is quite a significant chunk going to software just in the last five years. Very, very interesting trends. And you know, I mentioned at the outset, Anastasia, that there are concerns about the secular decline of R&D's share of domestic expenditure in Canada uh, over the last few years. And while the share of R&D in FDI coming into Canada is low, uh, it looks to me like it's a, it's a little bit higher than the baseline uh, R&D share of, of domestic spending in Canada. So what, uh, what are the implications of that? Ooh, we're expecting exciting things with the foreign direct investments so they can fill in, in the gaps. If the foreign investor comes in, brings new technology, brings new plants, it can spur more and more investment. At the same time, we are seeing an interesting trend where Asia-Pacific investment in Canada is actually increasing over time. And 2021, marking the second, as I mentioned, highest number of investment flows from Asia-Pacific to Canada in R&D specifically. So that can spur more and more domestic support and investment. So we have super cluster initiatives. A lot of companies are co-locating in those places. So we have Fujitsu at the Digital Tech Lab here in Vancouver, same as Samsung. So they they can borrow from a local talent and can support local programs. So we anticipate that maybe potentially boosting up the R&D spending in Canada in total. And what about the impact of the pandemic on all of this? We were surprised to observe the opposite trend as, as though it was expected that the FDI would decline. We are observing an increase in R&D spending and investment. And uh, we also see the rapid expansion, as I said, from the Asia Pacific to Canada. And Canadian investors are also picking up their game in R&D investment in Asia Pacific. So we had a few interesting deals uh, in India, actually. The Canadian Pension Plan Investment Board and Ontario Teachers Pension Plan have invested in Versa Innovation, which is the biggest local language platform. So we're seeing new projects picking up as well as Jump Pharma Corporation, a Canadian firm, going into and building R&D manufacturing facilities to procurement of the generic drug also in India. So we see more and more uh, investors exploring India's landscape. So quite exciting development. Well, it is exciting, uh, I guess, particularly because 
you can sometimes get a, a you know momentum and a kind of network effect if if uh, major Canadian uh, corporate players are making investments, uh, growing their investments in new new locations, new to them, uh, such as India, that uh, theoretically that could give assurance or comfort to other Canadian companies, investors, to follow them. And and uh, I could put in a plug for for some of the other things we do at the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada related to. Uh, helping to inform uh, Canadian businesses about what are the patterns in terms of Canadian business activity uh, across the Asia Pacific. And we are developing some new tools, um, and I know you're part of this effort, Anastasia. Uh, We're developing new tools that we will be rolling out shortly that will enable Canadian uh, businesses who are interested in, in expanding into new areas to be able to look at a province or state or city in some cases in in India, China, Indonesia, um, Southeast Asia, and to be able to compare among different provinces which are the ones that have the highest level of Canadian investment activity and uh, Canadian company uh, operations on the ground. And, and we think that could be useful information for companies in helping to inform their decision-making uh, if they know that, uh, for instance, Maharashtra state in India, you know, has the highest concentration of Canadian corporate activity of all the of all the states uh, in and territories in India, that that might be a, a factor in in their decision. And and speaking of uh, subnational jurisdictions on the Canadian side of the Pacific, which Canadian provinces are receiving the most FDI and R&D from, it, from the Asia-Pacific, from your findings? Yes, we were actually um, quite interested to find out that 99% of Asia-Pacific investment went to four provinces in total, and majority of that, around 65%, went to Ontario. So right, it's a manufacturing hub with a lot of connections. But other provinces that made a list are Quebec with 1.2 billion, Alberta with 430 million and BC with 87.5 million and this is from 2003 till 2021. But uh, with that, um, you know, uh, we figured we had a mini case study in the report showing why Ontario might be attractive and we looked at the linkages between universities, uh, local talents, a lot of uh, things that Canada can bring to foreign investors have invited so many companies and and we had interview with Fujitsu saying that our talent is actually one of the most attractive things for R&D companies located in Canada so it's exciting to see that more and more companies would be coming into Canada exploring different opportunities partnering with universities finding the local talent benefiting from the connections and super clusters so yeah yeah i i certainly found you know in my in my own uh, career as uh, as a diplomat and and as Consul General of Canada in Hong Kong from 2016 to 2021, that when I was uh, pitching Canada as an investment destination to local investors there, that uh, the fact that Canada has, by most measures, we have the most highly educated workforce in the world, combined with the immigration measures that, uh, that make it easier for companies establishing in Canada to recruit talent from around the world and get very quick decisions on work permits and the programs 
that are designed in our immigration system to attract talent from around the world and provide a pathway to Canadian citizenship for highly skilled workers, um, regardless of where they come from in the world. All of those things uh, resonated very strongly with, with investors, and they wanted to know more about those uh, features of the Canadian uh, investment landscape and the Canadian business landscape. Um, so this will be an interesting thing to, to watch. Um, and I'm grateful, Anastasia, to you for taking the time today to explore some of these topics. But uh, this is just the second of three uh, special reports that the Investment Monitor team is doing this year. And I'm wondering if you can give uh, our listeners a sneak preview, uh, an exclusive look at what we'll be seeing in the third and final of these reports in, uh, before the end of 2022. So thank you so much, Jeff. This has been a lovely conversation exploring R&D. Our next report is going to be even more exciting. We're focusing on critical minerals and tracking different deals and seeing how Canadian companies are establishing their footprint in Asia-Pacific, acquiring mines from anywhere in Australia, right, and seeing Chinese, Australian, and other investors invest in Canada and taking over local mining operations with lithium and nickel being one of the critical and hot commodities in that report. And we'll try to make sure that we not only report on the specific commodities, investment values, but also look more deeper where those investments are in the subnational level. So it will be quite an exciting conversation, definitely an exciting report. That's great. So, uh, so we will all be eagerly awaiting that. And I would remind our listeners uh, to be sure to visit regularly our homepage at asiapacific.ca to read not only the Investment Monitor reports, but other exciting research publications from our team here at the Foundation. And don't forget to subscribe to Asia Watch, our weekly newsletter that tracks trends and issues in Asia of importance to Canadians, which is available for free through the Subscribe to Asia Watch button on our homepage. So until next time, I'm Jeff Nankavell, President of the Asia Pacific Foundation of Canada. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to continuing the Asia Pacific conversation. <laughs>